This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 363 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. The do's and don'ts of farms and moms. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. And those sponsors would be EquiSketch, Easy Signs Online, and Sparkle and Boom. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. We bring you the news through hell or high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop calls. It's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. And this is Coach Jen. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. I am so pleased to have my good friend, Coach Jen, with us this week. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Jen and I can get, it's, you know, Glenn doesn't let us do shows together very often because the recordings. <laughs> the recordings like, are hours long. That's the problem. Like, seriously, yeah. it's like three hours long. So, of course, the editing, his editing job is just crazy. But Jen and I have a blast. And so um, let me quickly tell you what this week's episode is about. We're going to be talking about what it's like to be farm shopping today. Our good friend, Michelle Barr from Right Lead Equestrian Center, she's going to talk to us about what it was like and what she went through and buying her new farm and uh, things to stay away from and things to think about. We're also going to talk to Coach Mom. That would be Coach Jen's mother. Pat is going to talk to us about a little of the history and how Coach Jen came to be Coach Jen and what it was like being a horse show mom to couple of rowdy kids, ponies riding, uh, riding their ponies and yeah. trick-or-treating. Horse, horse show mom to the neighborhood. Is horse show mom does. to the neighborhood. Yes. And we're also going to talk about uh, poultices in our Tack and Habit segment this week. What they are, what kinds there are, what their ingredients are, ingredients are and uh, what Jen and I keep in our barns. So don't go away. Stay tuned for a chock-full episode of Stable Scoop. We will be right back. This week's EasySignsOnline.com Spotlight product is their New England Style Farm Signs, their most popular line of signs. New England Style Farm Signs are very durable and designed for long-term outdoor use with no maintenance required, no wood to rot, and no paint to peel. They will outlast the old-style painted wood signs by many, many years. They are available in many sizes, shapes, and styles, which makes them the perfect sign for any farm or business. Go online today and go through the EasySignsOnline.com easy step-by-step ordering process to see all the prices and options available. They also offer free, no-obligation sign proofs on all New England-style signs. And you get free shipping as well on all New England-style signs. So replace your old worn-out sign and make a great first impression with a new farm sign from EasySignsOnline.com. And the holidays are right around the corner, so it's a terrific gift idea. I can't think of a better one. Visit EasySignsOnline.com. This week, we welcome Michelle Barr, who is... Dun, 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 a new farm owner, and Jen uh, Michelle's going to talk to Jen and I about how she got to be a new farm owner and all of the wonderful parts of shopping. I say wonderful with tongue in cheek. All the wonderful parts of shopping for a farm, what to do, what not to do. So welcome, Michelle. Hi. You are in the beautiful state of Louisiana, and you have a brand new, sparkly, awesome farm. Tell us where it is. I do. I have a brand new place in Minden, Louisiana, which is just 15 minutes from Bossier City, and I realize probably nobody knows where that is either, and uh, Bossier is right on the other side of the Red River from Shreveport. 
so people will know more where Shreveport is. Okay. So yeah, that name sounds familiar to me. You know, it's so funny. Like uh, you think that we're, I guess when anybody lives in any part of the country, you kind of, your, your body of knowledge extends to like a five to 600 mile radius outside of that epicenter of your world. You Everybody know? thinks New Orleans. Yeah. Right. So she's yeah. the only yeah. city in Louisiana, right? New Orleans. Yeah. You could poll 25 Americans and 25 Americans could name one city in Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, this is, make... this is the other end from New Orleans. The other end. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. what kind of, um, what kind of horse stuff do you do? You're, you are a trainer. Um, what, what's I your am. focus? So I do eventing. Um, I do some dressage, um, also a certified side saddle instructor. So I do some side saddle. I have rare breed horses. I have Cleveland Bays. And so I like to take my Cleveland Bays out side saddle and promote the breed and promote a dying form of riding. But we do, we do all kinds of cool stuff. Whatever looks good, we do it. Go to a competitive trail ride, we'll do it. Go to jumper show. We'll do it. Whatever looks good. Whatever looks good. And um, so you you decided to um, dive into farm ownership not too long ago. How did you start? You're like, okay, it's time for me to get my own place. How did you make the list of things that you absolutely had to have? Like, what were your shopping criteria? Mm-hmm. Well, this is not my first place. This is my first place on my own. So this is, uh, it's a big step. But I already had an idea of things that I needed. Um, non-negotiable was um, good ground. Um, after having lived on not good ground for a very long time, um, you need to find a, a piece of property that's going to drain that's going to grow some grass without a huge amount of effort on your part. Um, I needed some shade. I needed a place for me to live and for the dog to live and enough room for all of my horses, an arena, two arenas, because I like to have my dressage arena set up separately from just an empty arena, or maybe I can put some stadium jumps. Um, Extras, it'd be nice if it had some feature to it, and that's just going to depend on where you live. If you live in Kansas or Arizona, it's going to be flatter. Uh, I'm real lucky the place I have now, I have rolling hills, and I have some flat spots, and it's it's so ideal, it's scary. It's great for cross-country schooling, I guess, if mm-hmm. you... Oh, I yeah. see some steps getting carved into the side of one of these hills. <laughs> It's coming. It's coming. So when, right now it's at the bottom of the list, but it's coming. It's coming. It'll move its way up the list, kind of like the, the cream yes, will. the top. Yeah. So when you made your list and you got mm-hmm. started, did you start with the famous online search on Trulia or Zillow or Realtor.com? Did you start with a realtor? How did you, what was the first step in seeing what's out there, so to speak? Yeah, I, I did a lot of it myself. Uh, I'm not familiar with the first place you you named. Um, the newspaper, um, there are two realtors in Shreveport that specialize in horse property. And I gave them a call, told them what I was looking for. And that's a real luxury. These poor realtors that are not horse people, and they they try, but they don't understand what we need. And if you get one trained and they're receptive and they understand, then please stick with them. But it's, it's going to be tough. Um, my dad got into the act. He started looking on the internet and whenever we saw something interesting, we'd drive by. And if we could see it from the road, then we'd call the listing agent and set up an appointment. And that's basically how it worked here. So how many, places did you set up appointments with and go see about and and, and over what time period? (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, I had been looking for a little over a year. The first place I bought, I looked very actively in every spare moment for 
a little over two years. And it turned out that it was a word of mouth. I ended up buying from a girl that I knew, um, just casually talking at a horse show. I'm looking for a place. She says, I have a place. I really should sell it. I'm not living there anymore. And that's how it all worked out. Um, with this place, I was not actively looking until probably April or May. And and then it was full on. My parents were involved. I was involved. Some of my students were involved. I mean, it was the hunt was on. Um, and again, it, it turned out to be, you know, the horse community is so small. It turned out to be friend of a friend who had a place. Um, we did happen to see the listing and then everybody put two and two together. Um, but, you know, just talking to your horse friends, talking to your trainer, talking to your farrier, talking to your vet. I know the place I have for sale in Baton Rouge. The first person I called was not the realtor. The first person I called was the vet and said, support out. <laughs> it's true. It reminds they're gonna me know of... your, they're going to know your audience. You know, we're yeah. looking for something specific. And as a buyer and as a seller, we are looking for someone specific to take it over. So we, during your little search there of all of, all mm-hmm. of your must-haves, this group mm-hmm. of 10 items are non-negotiable. As you went through mm-hmm. and looked at all the different places before you settled on the one you have, what mm-hmm. was the criteria that was a deal breaker most frequently? You went to five different farms. Was it five different criteria that you couldn't find, or was there one that was really hard to come across? Well, it was, it was, there was always something that just, you um, <laughs> something you couldn't fix, like, or, or it was so expensive to fix you, you know, demolish the barn and start over. Or, you know, I'd be scared to live in that house because there might be creatures that could get into the house. Um, you know, fencing, you can fix that. If it, I feel if it's not a complete takedown, start over one hundred percent. If if the if the price Do reflects over. the but fact it, that you're going to invest ten thousand dollars in fencing, yeah, yeah, it it really depends on. I think it's a lot like pre-purchasing a horse. What is your budget? What can you live with, and what can you not live with? I needed a house, and I needed somewhere safe to to put the horses. Those those were were my bottom line. The fact that I got an arena with lights. Holy cow! I mean, who would have thought? Score for you. Yeah, that was that was a bonus right there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you find. Let's fast forward to the point where you find just what you want. You're like, okay, um, it may have everything that you're looking for, or it may have only one or two things that you're looking for, but it's got the potential mm-hmm. to be what right. you need it to be, right? Right. So. Um, at what point, and this is the really hard part, I think, um, wh- at what point do you start to create a timeline for moving your horses? Because none of us ever buy a farm and not have horses. <laughs> so there's always no, the problem of, of how and when do you move the horses? Who do you put where? What kind oh, of fencing? Yeah. Now, you yeah. inherited, I now I'm getting all over the, the place here because I do have a little bit of the inside story on your fencing mm-hmm. dilemma. Um, but fencing is obviously the very first thing that has to go up, sometimes even before your stalls and all that. Um, tell us about your fencing dilemma and, and the solution that you found. So I have 20 acres. It's fenced and cross-fenced. Um, and it had some pretty heinous barbed wire. And it was everywhere. Um, the place where I had the horses in the interim was let's say substandard. And that does, that, that's a real reach up for this place. Um, and the horses were continually going through the fence. And I have a yearling who at this point has no respect for fence. And I could just see him running through a fence, a barbed wire fence. You know, my older horses would roll right next to the fence, somebody rolling, putting the leg through it. And that just couldn't, I just couldn't do that. Um, especially not wanting to have, um, clients having borders. So first order of business is to come out here and take all the bar bar down every last piece of it. Um, I do have some 
beautiful, amazing uh, PVC fence up around the house. And I got some horse fence from the, the wire, the mesh kind of fence, and uh, strung that out and made a, a big pasture for the boys. And luckily, they it's tall enough. It's almost five feet. They're not going to push on it. Well, they'll push on it, but they're not going to go over it or through it. Um, and put the boys back there and put the girls up here around the house uh, behind the, the other part of the PVC fence. And that allowed me a, an immediate solution and a little bit of cushion on getting the electric tape up, which is what I'm going to put up right now. Um, now, the the flip side of that is I'm constantly running horses off of the carport and cleaning up off the carport and the patio and everywhere else. <laughs> so there's high motivation to get the, the rest of the, the fence done up front. But, you know, getting them, getting them behind somewhere safe um, was, was just huge. I, I was not going to, to be able to bring them here with the barbed wire and the, it just wasn't going to work. Okay, so Jen wants me to ask this. <laughs> Clearly. Uh -oh. um, backing backing up a little bit in uh -huh. when we're talking you were talking about um you know how to how to spread the word that you're either selling a place or buying a place, the vet is always right. a good person to to get in touch with. Um how did you vet out your farm now before you decided that you wanted to purchase it. So we, you, you just talked about that list of things that you have and the potential, mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. How did that process go of, you know, the first time you step up foot on the property and you go, mm -hmm. I can do this, you know, mm -hmm. like I can't accept that or I can't accept this. Mm -hmm. Well, I came in very um, apprehensive because you see so many places that aren't going to work and you think, oh, am I wasting my time? Here we go again. There's a million other things I could be doing other than driving out, you know, to the middle of nowhere to look at a place that's probably falling apart. So I was pleasantly surprised, and we came back um, a couple of times to have a look. The rains this spring, I don't know if everybody saw the unbelievable flooding we had on the Red River this year, um, but Shreveport and Bossier were underwater quite literally, all the way up into the downtown areas on both sides. And so there was a day where, a night where we had something like four inches of rain, four and a half inches of rain. It was ridiculous. So we called up and said, we want to come see the place today after this rain. Brilliant. Um, just to see how it drains, to see where it collects, just to, to see what sort of leaks are in the barn, that sort of situation. And unbelievably there's so much feature the ground is is just sandy enough that it looked like it didn't even rain oh, especially, it's amazing that's important especially after the rains and i mean you guys had quite the spring this year in mm -hmm. louisiana didn't did. you so you were really we feeling the benefit of this property draining the way you wanted it to absolutely absolutely um and seeing, you know, the health of the grass, talking to, we were so lucky. The people that had it were so accommodating and so nice. And I asked a million questions. And what is the base of your arena? How long has it been there? What is your, you know, give me how you constructed the arena. They put this place, they built this place themselves. So they were able, they restored the house. So they were able to answer a lot of the questions that maybe somebody who had just bought it from someone else couldn't have answered. So they knew, you know, exactly how old the barn was. They knew exactly where all the materials came from, how it was done. Same thing with the house, same thing with the arena. Um, you know, all, of course, being a small town, everybody knows everybody in this neighbor and he'll probably let you use the, the acreage up front and, and this neighbor over here and he'll probably help you come and, and, you know, if you want to bail and the, 
the people that had it, their involvement was, was critical. You know, what, how do you maintain your grass? Do you seed? Do you fertilize? Do you lime? What, what do you do? Mm. And it was, it was, they, they were a huge part of the equation. That makes me feel good. As you're telling the story, it makes you feel, um, supported and that there are opportunities and that you're part of something. It's, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we, we tend to want, you know, think of ourselves as these strong, independent women. And while we may be, there is something to be said for that sense of belonging to, um, a group of people, community, a network of farms and farmers who always have your back. I mean, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's what makes us love this lifestyle is that the people who embrace it are very much the kind who will have your back. And, you know, I agree. help. You know, it's just we have that here in in um, in my neck of the woods, where mm-hmm. you know you've got so many acres, but then the property owner behind you, who's got another twenty, says, "Sure, go ahead. You know, if you want to mow mm-hmm. it, you can use it. You can ride through exactly. it. Your horses can graze." Yeah. And then, you know, the neighbor across the street, whose cows decide to come over and visit, um, it all yeah. becomes a very supportive thing. Which that in itself could make you know be a big buy decision. That's, that's huge. That's you know, critical, especially now. We are all in now. it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause and having no, lived somewhere where people um, moved, quote, to the country, but don't want exactly to see the horses, don't want to hear the horses, don't want to hear because they're on top of you, don't want to hear the lessons. There's cattle that do get loose and run down the street. And, you know, you, get, you can't just drive into them. You need to stop and, and help. And that that sort of environment is fostered here we are all in this together and you know here comes the weird english girl because it's a predominantly western area but oh hey come out to the rodeo arena where we're all racing friday night and <laughs> you know they don't care i mean they probably do but not they're not snobby and and uh you know the bottom line is a horse is a horse there are a few of us out there, few enough of us out there these days, but we that we need to uh, set the differences aside and say, sure, come on over and barrel race your dressage horse. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into anything. You can be I'm, that girl. I'm, why not? Yeah. Now, one last one last question. I'm curious, uh, mm-hmm. Michelle, because this is the second time you've bought the farm. Um, yeah. Is there anything? <laughs> Is there anything that you would have done from beginning to end of this process differently on this? Or is there anything that you did differently this one versus the last one that you just like, oh, not going to do that again? Well, yeah, there's, there's, I won't do that again, but it's not suitable for this radio show. Um, <laughs> that's a different program, <laughs> different podcast altogether. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Um, Let's schedule no, that I, one, though, Jen. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's off air with a drink. Um, no, that's everything be on the has auditor's been, loop, that one, the auditor's right. Loop, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, everything has been, has been so, so good. And my parents have been remarkably supportive. The people that had it are still, you know, if I have a question about the pool or I have a question about the, you know, oh, wait, where did you tell me to go get feed again? Or, or how does this, you know, I can't find a latch for the whatever building, and you just call them up. It's great. Um, it's just, it's been such a positive experience. It, it's almost like a dream. And I keep waiting. Am I going to wake up? And it's not going to be real. And every day I wake up and it is real. <laughs> now, have you, um, now this purchase is brand spanking new. Um, not even you, been in here a month. Not no, even been sure. here a month. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, are you feeling so? You're sleeping in the house now, like it's home for you. You you get up in the morning. Uh, yeah, and you go to sleep I in the I house. I stayed here the first time on the first of this month, first of July, and the furniture arrived on the twenty third. So I'm so pleased to be sleeping in my bed <laughs> and um, to have to have a chair to sit in and a table to sit at. So that's been huge. A chair. I know. But, I have a chair and a table. Yeah. Yay. I know. I know. I sent my dad a picture that he and my mom and my sister were in Kansas with my grandmother. And I said, I'm eating lunch at a table. It's amazing. <laughs> but there's so much to do. You don't miss it. Well, you just don't miss it. You're not inside. You're not. No, you're, you're, 
you're embracing your future is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us, you know, you operate, um, right lead equestrian center, tell people where they can find out more about your services as a trainer. Um, and then of course they'll be able to see your lovely new place when they show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can look us up on Facebook at, uh, right lead equestrian center. And I have a super awesome website. Thanks to somebody we all know here in this group, uh, www.rightlead.com. And you can look around there. There will be new stuff very soon, I hope. And you can give me an email at uh, Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, at rightlead.com. Excellent. Well, thank you mm-hmm. very much, Michelle Barr, Right Lead Equestrian. Check her out on Facebook. Of course, we remain your biggest fans. Oh, you are so sweet. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Michelle. Glenn the Geek here. The life of horse person is hard enough, and we all hate doing the required paperwork, and unfortunately, many of us never get around to it, and it just piles up on our desk. That is about to change thanks to the Equisketch Records app for your iPhone or iPad. My wife and I use it to track our horses, and we absolutely love this thing. Equisketch Records is the most thorough and complete equestrian records app on the market today. We love this app because you can track your farrier work, your dental, your Coggins, medicines, worming, and so much more. And you can get reminders on your device when all of these things are due. You'll never forget a worming or shots or farrier visit again. But it not only tracks your horse, you can also manage your horse shows, including individual events. You can manage riders, including lessons and memberships and so much more. And you can sync it between your iPhone and your iPad, and all of this for the price of a couple of cups of coffee from Starbucks. Search for Equisketch Records in the iOS App Store or go to Equisketch.com. That's E-Q-U-I-S-K-E-T-C-H.com. Equisketch.com. And I get to welcome a guest to Stable Scoop Show this time, Helena. And it's been a long time coming. Finally, at last, Coach Jen's mom is going to be on the air. Welcome to the show, Mom. Well, thank you. Coach Mom. Coach Mom. We're honored. <laughs> Coach Mom. Well, you know, this is, um, you paid your dues as a mom. And so you are enjoying a little bit of the freedom from the life of a horse show mom. You were like, like the original horse show mom. How did... How did your mom hood and horses start? How did that all come together? Well, I bought my first horse because my kid's dad won some money on an organization. They had a widow's drawing, and they sent me the check with my name on it. Oh, score! <laughs> I didn't know that. So I spent it. <laughs> on a horse. On a horse. It was like 50 bucks or something, wasn't it? Oh, no, awesome. it was a hundred and a quarter. <gasps> big, bucks. big bucks. Big bucks. Big bucks. But the first horse I ever climbed up on was at the Hershey State Police Academy. Was with like across the block and down the hill from where I lived. I was four or five years old. And I knew there were horses down there. And I would kind of, actually I snuck off. And would go down there, and I would climb up the stall and climb on Goldie's back. And when the state police cadets would catch me, they would get me down and take me out and send me back home again. And I probably turned around and went right back down the following week. I was down there at the academy a couple of weeks ago on a tour. I made a picture of Goldie and Major (gasps) Martin. Really? There was a picture of the, her first horse I ever climbed up on. How cool. You need to get a copy of that. I did. I took a picture of it. That's cool. So from, from, from early on, you were hanging out at the police station in trouble. Early on. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Although I kind of got away with it because I was the only little girl. It was boys, and they figured, you know, boys were the ones that got into mischief. This little girl just followed them around because she had nothing else to do. I did not tell them any otherwise. So you had the horse bug from early on. We're going oh, yeah. to fast forward through 
several ill-fated attempts at horse ownership that I recall. We'll just pass over those because they're just not all that pleasant. To how, how old were us kids and how many of us were there when we first started going to horse shows? Mm. Well, there were five or six of you at a time. So, yeah. Jen, you were you were the younger. Are you the youngest in your family? Yes, I was Jen, the youngest okay. in the troop. So you're once, the youngest yes. in the troop. Yes. So once, so, uh, go ahead, but so you so your older siblings obviously were in the saddle and traipsing off to friends' houses and here and there um, before you did. Do you remember the first time you were able to get up in the saddle and have your own quote unquote transportation? I think what happened timing wise, because we had our family went from three children to six children overnight because we adopted some. Okay. So when the horses came into the family's life, it was a case of every single child wanted on the one or two ponies we had and we fought over them. (laughs) We had like two or three ponies when we started out and everybody was always fighting over who could have the ponies. Um, so those, yeah. yeah, bless their little hearts. Those little ponies had six kids pounding around on them all the time. But, um, so we, we always, we very rarely had enough ponies to go around between all of the kids and the adults in the family who all wanted to go riding. So when we first started to go to little horse shows as a family mom, cause I don't remember a whole bunch of it. Um, how did you deal with the fact that there were frequently more kids than ponies available. How did you get through that, uh, frankly, war? By the time we had six kids here for like a couple of months or six months, there were five ponies. So you just kept buying more ponies? Yeah. Okay. I mean, ponies were not expensive back in the time. Really. You could buy really nice ponies for a hundred bucks. And, Mm. you know, we went, as you may remember, we went to the horse auction every weekend. So this explains a lot, Jen. This explains a lot about your very well-trained eye. <laughs> your very well-trained oh, yeah. tack shopping eye. This started a <laughs> long time ago, and you've had lots of experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The best thing to pick a horse is sit and watch hour after hour after hour. <sighs> All right. So we go from – so these were, these were your most – humble, wonderful beginnings. At some point, you go from pony shopping and tack shopping and visiting friends and trick-or-treating on horseback to I want to compete. And was was Jennifer the only one who rode competitively? Um, they all joined the 4-H club. Okay. That was, that was the thing. Okay. So they did that. And they all did quite well in 4-H club because 4-H club was heavy into record keeping, clean ponies, and that sort of thing. In f- back, the, back in the day, I don't know if they still run it this way, in 4-H club, for horse, in horse 4-H club, every member must enter the halter class or the in-hand class because okay. that's part of your yearly award. You have to enter the class so that the judge judges you and said, yes, you took good care of your pony. He's in good condition and he's clean and you know how to handle him safely. That's really all it was. Basic horsemanship. Basic horsemanship. But we would fight over who got to take the good pony. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Did the good pony always win? Well, the good pony always got you a better ribbon because there would be hundreds of kids in this class. And, you know, we with our auction ponies weren't likely to get a ribbon. We would get a stamp of approval in that we, we... achieved the the uh the test that we needed to do but we didn't necessarily get a ribbon so it would be a case of you know oh i want to take so and so in the class because so and so is properly halter broken behaves himself so you're here you are wrangling between <laughs> you and uh, a number of other moms at this horse show this is a country horse show wrangling a heap of children yep. and going in 15 different directions yep. how how did that happen because Take, take me through, you know, you pull into the horse show grounds at 4-H with five, five and a half kids and eight ponies. You pull in. What happens next? You start unloading everything. Hope the kids stick around long enough that the ponies don't run off. <laughs> because where we went for the 4-H club stuff was on a big farm. There's plenty of room and there was a pond. 
It was a little oh. bit of a distraction. Oh. Things with yeah. the kids was after the whole thing was over, everybody took off their boots and their saddles, and they wanted to go in the pond. So you dangled well, that just... you dangled that carrot in front of us a lot. I remember in that if we behaved ourselves all day long, we would be allowed to take the ponies swimming. Yes. See, that is my generation's version of, I'm taking your cell phone now, and if you behave all day at the horse show, I'll give it back to you. Right. <laughs> you have to, you have, so lesson one is you have to have a carrot to dangle in front of the children's egos <laughs> to keep them mannerly. So from your point of view as the horse show mom wrangling heaps and heaps of children, because you weren't the horse show coach, you were the horse show mom. There was no coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Getting everything unpacked and organized was kind of key at the beginning of the day, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a couple of the kids were good at that. Tommy was very good at that. He was the oldest kid, and he liked being in charge and in control. Oh, so and assignment liked, was good. Okay, he had ah. assignment. He liked saying, you get this, you get this, and you get that. And he could keep an eye on everybody. Did you know and, he was good at that sort of thing? Did you have an, an idea? You know, was this sort of no, one of those? No, he, he just, that's just the way he was. Hmm. But when needed things needed fixed or ponies caught or something like that, it was David. David thought nothing of walking up to a pony that was acting up and walking up and scratching him in a chin and going, oh, you silly little thing. So and it, the it did become would a... look at him and say, oh, you're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the, the uh, you're, you're kind of divvying out assignments for to this heap yes. of herd of children according to what they're innate skill sets are because most of us were pretty young. Well, how about yes. the kids that got dragged along to the horse show? Because I know we always had hangers on that had no interest at all whatsoever in a pony, but somehow or another, they seemed to get to the horse show on time, get packed back up into the horse van and get back home all in one piece. Were there any, or what were your tricks there to keep that group from self-destructing or running away? Most of the time, they were not my kids. They were somebody else's kids that was at the horse show, and they kind of stuck the little kids with me, for some reason or other, to be babysat. Do you know that the average horse halter will fit a small child, pony size, <laughs> up to about five or six? <laughs> she would lunge them, Helena. She'd just take them out and lunge them until they were tired. Did, I did not. <laughs> That's a smart mom. In, in I fact, tied them to the fence. You, you, you have been known to tie them to a patient's pole. <laughs> and, yeah, and I gave them little cups of water because we didn't have, you know, plastic bottles of water then. They had little paper cups with water and spoons and dirt and they could play in the mud. Yeah, you and really, you, you, you put no stock in keeping children clean, did you? No way. No. I think that was no. key to our happiness, to tell you the truth. I mean, my farm isn't even that big and I can't keep myself clean. I have more dirt under my fingernails sometimes than my kid does. So it's just, That's why you, you wash know. dishes by hand sometimes. That's true. You're not kidding. I'm like, oh, I have to scrub the horse's water buckets. Hands are clean. I can eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, I got to scrub the pots and pans. Hands are clean. Yeah. Now, <laughs> do you also leave your boots at the door? I do. I do. I do. And that's because, you know, when you are the person who cleans up, you try to minimize the amount of work that you have to do when you're done wrangling your kids and your horses and your cats and your dogs. Yes, so boots yes. stay outside as much as possible. But, you know, flies and, and dirt and hay and shavings, that all ends up in the house. So if you could give some tips to up and coming horse show moms. Now you have obviously had, did you oh, find yeah. your role as a horse show mom um, to be changing as well? Did you have to get less involved or did you get more involved? How did you, was it less or more emotional? Um, I don't know about emotion. This was, this is what my kid did and I was proud as heck of her. I became more of a groom and Jennifer had her own checkbook. But that meant that she kept track of her fees for classes and for shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. So she always made that decision on which show to go to. You know, you can give your daughters a bunch of money, and if they buy the wrong clothes, they blew it. Same thing with horse shows. The thing that happened as she got older and was continuing this stuff, because she stayed with Jane for I don't know how long, but every summer, school closed, Jennifer was gone the following weekend. School was open, she came home the weekend before 
not too soon, mind you. But that's that's an interesting point you make about being a horse show mom, that you had the the confidence or maybe the um, foolishness, I don't know which, to step back and let me make mistakes. And I guess you did. I just... I, I didn't tell you. I, know what they I didn't tell been. you about them. No, and I think that's a big mistake. A lot of horse show moms, and this is this is apart from horse mom. Horse show mom is parents are afraid to step back and let their kids, their competitive children in this in that are out showing horses, make a mistake. They're so scared of the kid making a mistake that they tend to hold that bubble a little bit too long or make it too mm-hmm. big. And you yeah. didn't do that. You were perfectly happy to step back. Uh, okay. I wasn't sufficiently organized. I got to the horse show an hour late. I missed my dressage time. Therefore I just blew $75 in entry fees because I screwed up and you were, Hey, you screwed up. You screwed up. That's on you. You'll learn from it and do better next time. So that's an interesting. Um, yeah. Point. I don't think you ever made the same mistake twice. Oh yeah, I did. I just didn't tell you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you weren't crying on my shoulder about no, it. No, that was there was no need for that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, for all the years that you dragged uh, assorted kids, your own as well as others, to horse shows, mm-hmm. and you spent a number of years as a pony club district commissioner, so you had kids of mm-hmm. every sort and age and and yes. interest level. What is one thing that you observed at? horse shows that horse show moms and this counts for horse show dads too at the competitions that you could say, you know, as an up and coming horse show mom, please don't that you, that you just see a lot of that you oh, I wish they wouldn't. Don't grouch at the kid. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Mm. Don't ever take the attitude that the ribbon is what you're admiring. So it's important as a horse mom, experienced or otherwise, that if you want to see your kids have a good sportsmanlike attitude, you need to mm-hmm. adopt it too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty when much I it. When I coached Little League Baseball, I coached Little League Baseball. I was all for those kids. I really mm. enjoyed that. I got to admit. So, uh, well, we're going to have to wrap it up here because we're getting to – the end of our recording uh, block of time here, but thanks mom for coming on. I, I just heard all kinds of stories I never heard before. Helena. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little uncomfortable. It. I have to admit. I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> well, Pat, we are so glad that you came on and, and told, gave us the history of, of coach Jen and the inside scoop of what it means to be a horse mom, a horse mom. As, well, as well as a horse show mom. And you know, you have, you really did. we we messaged each other about this briefly, but when you pass down those values to your daughter and then she passed them on to me, and as my daughter grows, I get to pass them on to her, um, it really takes the concept of uh, responsible horse care to, it's a legacy. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a horse mom, just keep doing what you're doing. Do it and you just don't know whose life you're going to touch and how far into the future you're going to keep touching a life. Next up, our Tack and Habit segment. And this segment is sponsored by Sparkle and Boom. You can visit them online at sparkleandboom.com. Today, Jen and I are going to talk about, drum roll please, poultices. Poultice. Poultices. We're going to tell you what a poultice is, what kinds of poultices there are, and then we're going to ask you a question. Yeah. Yeah. What All right. What prompted this yeah. is um, <laughs> we have a local Facebook page here in Ocala for all of us trail riding types. And, of course, I'm a member of it. And, of course, everybody is comparing abscess stories this time of year because here in Florida we are in the wet and rainy season. Yeah, okay. Uh, so lots and lots of abscesses flying around. And of course, as soon as there's abscesses flying around, everyone talks about poultice. So I thought, you know, let's let's do the whole poultice thing because it's there's more to it than just a bucket of clay. Yep. There is. Yep. So, first off, what is poultice? Oh, are you asking me? 
Yes. <laughs> a poultice is, um, well, it's a preparation that you put on your horse's boo-boo that um, it's usually something sloppy and gooey and thick, and then you wrap a little something around the sloppy, gooey thickness. And its intent is to draw out moisture, and then with the moisture, any kind of infectious, icky, organic material that's making your horse ouchy. Dang, pretty good. All right, pretty good. Poultice is indeed gooey stuff. It's it's a <laughs> it's a gooey, smushy preparation that you put on to either draw out infection or to draw out heat. As in the take case of you put it on your horse's legs after he goes cross country, so because his legs are going to get kind of hot and tired. Um, that is the very generic term for it. Although. To the best of my knowledge, and listeners correct me if I'm wrong, there's no actual research that tells us that putting a poultice on your horse's legs does that. <laughs> Nothing. No Nothing scientific research. It's, it's, as far as I know, it's completely tradition in that any one of a number of non-poultice methods of bandaging a horse's legs could conceivably do exactly the same thing. I'm just going to prerequisite for that for you anti-poultice folks. Okay. Um, that being said, we have two kinds. We have hot poultice and cold poultice. Um, those are not necessarily divided by the ingredients used, but more in the temperature of the poultice when you put it on the horse's body. That's what makes it a hot poultice or a cold poultice. Uh, cold poultices are for drawing out heat, obviously. Like if, like Michelle said, you're standing around cold hosing a leg, Mm -hmm. frequently if you're cold hosing a horse especially in his leg um some supportive therapy that might go along with it would be poulticing it as well after you're done cold hosing you put a cold poultice on um, what, what 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 kind of gooey stuff would be in a cold poultice most cold poultices are a clay base with okay. added ingredients yes they're made up of um either bowie or bentonite clay which is that really mm -hmm. that gray, smooth stuff, and then various and sundry ingredients are added to it, usually for um, either the effect that they feel cold against your skin or yep. because uh, traditionally they have a drawing effect in that they'll draw out edema or excess swelling. One of the okay. That's yep. usually what you're going to see in a cold poultice. And they use those a lot at the racetrack, don't they? Pretty much every single day on every horse, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, score one for Helena. Score one for Helena. Back in the day when I worked for a retail operation that serviced the racing industry, um, those folks buy their poultice. They don't buy. They buy it either in a five-gallon bucket, mm -hmm. frequently half a dozen buckets at a time, or they'll actually just buy the dry clay and make their own. Mm. They'll buy 50, 50 or 100-pound bags of Bowie clay and then make their own because they can mix their special ingredients in it. They can mix their special – yeah. And when you use it that often and in those volumes, yes. you, you find just the right yes. uh, recipe to, to last a long time, you know, to, to, to reproduce its effects. To, 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 it, you want it to do exactly what you want it to do. Want it to do, right. That's right. We're very opinionated that way as horse folks. <laughs> and then conversely, we have warm poultices. Now, warm poultices can be made out of any number of ingredients. The point being with a poultice that's warm is generally to draw out infection. And again, to the best of my knowledge, there's no scientific studies that say the ingredients draw out the infection. Some people say that I've read editorially that the reason they work is not because they literally draw out the infection, but because they soften the surface tissues enough that that infection, which is causing pressure inside the body, seeks the path of least resistance. Least resistance, And yes. that's where it goes. It usually comes down to physics. I, I have to agree <laughs> with that. Physics it, it's applies true. at the molecular it's, level. It does. It's true. Chemistry is unpredictable, but physics is pretty, pretty spot on. Pretty you know, like on. with chemistry, you kind of have to get the exactly the right measure of each ingredient yeah, and then you, even then with with you chemistry if you you can a, a couple of grams of something can go either milkshake or explosion exactly right exactly fertilizer from first experience right yeah yep. 
It's true. Exactly. Okay, so we think so let's just say then that well however whatever the mechanism is, the heat, the warmth helps to relieve the pressure that's built up behind the infection. Right. Now, and then allowing it to drain. Right. So like any type of infection or bacterial invasion um, or, any, you know, it, it's uh, the body needs to shed the virus or needs to shed the bacteria. And it does this through pressure and oozing and all that stuff. So we're saying here that the warm poultice can help that process along. Facilitates that um, walled off infection being released from the body. Yes. Okay. Right. Now, something you don't see in this day and age yet very much anymore is a warm poultice for the purposes of increasing circulation. For example, a sore muscle. Okay. Um, there, back in the day before we had lots of other choices, it wasn't that uncommon to use a poultice to warm up muscles. Because now if you put a clay poultice on something, it's most always either to draw out infection or it's because something is hot and you're putting it on cold. Right. You can use those warm as well. You don't. You just don't see it very often anymore. Um, one of the common ways you see that used still this, in this day and age is something called an Epsom salts poultice, which is basically Epsom salts dissolved into a neutral carrier, um, like glycol or some kind of gooey stuff. So it's about yep. the texture of butter. Right. And so it doesn't dissolve. It, it or rather it, it dissolves. But there's a difference between a solution and a suspension. Right. Right. Okay. Well, it's, it's this is this is it's dissolved. It's kind of lumpy, bumpy, but it's kind of like spreading butter with salt in it on your horse, mm, and that's okay. used in a in a warm capacity to that makes me hungry. Is yeah. That yeah. Yeah. You're right. Bacon fat, butter, and salt on yeah, my butter. horse. <laughs> there are times where I'd like to put them on the grill. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> a little there you butter and salt. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, but I digress. So we have the Epsom salts in the goo, in the gel base. Mm-hmm. And with all of these things, though, we have to, like you said, you have to put some kind of waterproof or impervious covering to, to help keep the warmth in and the goo. Well, and here again, there's a wide variety of method. For example, uh, you go to the racetrack or to a breeding farm where there are a lot of young, growing youngsters, you will frequently see poultice on, them, on their knees, they spread it on their knees to help keep swelling to a minimum during those really fast growth spurts because sometimes their knees will get a little sore okay. just from the growth plates growing as fast as they do. And they very rarely put anything over top. They just put it on there and there's no covering. So in the tradition of using poultice in the horse industry, it's not always a covered poultice. Okay. Okay. Um, yep. The process of drying when something is wet and it goes to dry is generally a cooling process so as it cools as it dries it's going to draw heat from the body in yeah a little more more chemistry so you don't always see it on there but probably 80% of the time you do but depending on the application it's one of those things ask some grizzled old horse person in, in your neighborhood, what they did. <laughs> and again, I so, think I am the grizzled yeah, old horse right? person. <laughs> That's the joy of being in Ocala. I can always find someone older than me. <laughs> always. Um, and again, I don't know if there's any scientific data that backs all this stuff up, but that's what we used it for, you know, to be hocks and, and knees frequently don't bother to put bandages over top because it's it's troublesome to bandage those sections anyway and that's going to be an upcoming tip but an upcoming barn hack on horse tip daily okay is how to make a spider bandage which is what you use to bandage a knee or a hock so okay the, my barn hacks are horse tips that are visual because i have picture and then i put it up on the facebook page so it's not necessarily an audio tip so if you're not following horse tip daily on facebook you should be because frequently that's the only place you'll find the barn hacks i love the barn hacks yeah the barn oh hacks God, are fun. They're all they're over fun. my barn i have a whole list of them over here so that's what poultices are okay okay oh and and there's one one more um version or well maybe we should this is that's what they are I guess next we need to go over what's in them, the ingredients that poultices contain. And there's all different, there's all different kinds of things. But um, actually, first, we are going to take a break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
And then we'll be back. We'll be right <laughs> we back. We'll be back to talk about what goes, what the ingredients are in some of these pulses. Stay tuned. Sparkle and Boom is a new media marketing company. Our mission is to help small businesses add some sparkle to their marketing in order to get some boom in their bottom line. Our creativity, combined with an extensive background in the equestrian industry, makes us perfectly suited to help your business capture the potential of social media and the ever-changing World Wide Web. Visit us online at www.sparkleandboom.com. And we're back to wrap up this week's Tack and Habit segment. We're talking about poultices. We discussed cold poultices, warm poultices, why we poultice. And, of course, one of the things that makes a poultice effective um, are the ingredients in it. So, Jen, um, give us a little rundown on what what kinds of ingredients are the most common. Um, As we mentioned before, clay is very common. And the clay really is... It's ice. There's there's no magic in clay. It's either hot or it's cold, and that's what it does. Um, frequently, you're going to find some kind of antiseptic agents in in poultice. Usually, it will be labeled uh, as medicated poultice or antiseptic poultice on the label. Um, Epsom salts, a very very common ingredient in various types of poultice. Uh, again, favored for its drawing capacities, whether they're scientific or otherwise. Bran, believe it or not, wheat bran is a common ingredient. Um, That's a new one to me. That's been around since um, the 1800s or maybe before even. But I know it was very common uh, pre-industrial revolution, uh, bran as an ingredient. It's frequently used in place of clay. So you're not going to find one that has both. You're going to find one or the other. Um, Iodine, common ingredient for its antiseptic qualities. Uh, Sugar mixed with iodine. Uh, and sometimes sugar in bran, you'll see that. And these are something you frequently see in homemade in homemade ones. Sugar in many um, places is considered an antiseptic. I don't know if it is or not, but you see editorially people call it an antiseptic. Um, and there's something called ichthamol. And I'm, I'm assuming I'm pronouncing it right because that's the way I've heard it pronounced by every grizzly old horse guy in the world. And ichthamol is actually made from shale. Ah. Yes. It is a specific type of shale. So it's, it's uh, mineral derived and it's put in, it's ground up and put into um, some kind of base, kind of, kind of Vaseline. It's that black savvy stuff that you see everywhere. I have it. I yes. always have it too Everybody in has my some. closet. And that actually is an antiseptic. Um. It's a mild antiseptic. I hear my phone's ringing. Um, it's a mild antiseptic, but is it is officially listed as an anti- have having antiseptic properties. So those are all things that you're going to see in various and sundry poultices. Okay. Now, all yeah. that being said, what <clears throat> is your go-to poulticing product? Well, I, it depends on what the need is. So if I have if my horse has thrush. I use um, sugar and betadine, also known as sugardine, which is wrapped with a baby diaper, covered with baby diaper. So that's a poultice to draw out the lovely things that get in, the the thrushy things that get in my horse's feet. Um, um, Epsom salts. Actually, what I use now, because I'm lazy, is I go to my tax store and I buy something called DuraVet, which is an Epsom salt in goo product you can buy all in one. Mm -hmm. And you just scoop it out with your fingers, you slap it on the hoof, and again, you cover it up. I do great, do very well with um, baby diapers, but not the baby diapers that have those gel beads in them that absorb the moisture. No, that's no good at all. Baby diapers. Buy the cheap, cheap generic diapers. brand. Yes. Yep. And um, the other thing I use, which f- for my poultices, um, at least for foot poultices, is um, a boot, a hoof boot. Must have. Yeah, yeah I must have because duct tape doesn't work and baby diaper shreds. So that's for hoof stuff. Um, for other things, my problem is I always, I, I keep a clay poultice. 
a salt-based clay poultice in a tub. Doesn't matter what brand. Um, but I usually buy it when I need it because it dries out real fast. Yes. You know, once you open it, yeah, it dries out. So I buy it in as small a bucket as I possibly can. Um, but it's definitely a reason for me to go to my local tax shop. <laughs> and who doesn't need an excuse for that? So the, exactly. So, so you have your your poulticing kit seems to be hoof centric. It's hoof centric, yes. yes, because um again, we live at the coast, so you you know this now being down in Florida. Um it's always moist here. Yeah. Always moist. Whether it's winter, summer, I mean, you know, maybe we have two two or three weeks in the fall where it's dry. Yeah. So we're constantly battling um hoof abscesses and and so forth. But, you know, occasionally we get the soft tissue strain and um I will slap on some clay poultice with some paper towel. I like to hold the paper towel, you know, use it, use the paper towel as sort of a mm-hmm. next layer. Yep. Um, and then vet wrap mm-hmm. and saran wrap. <laughs> <laughs> saran, it's got to be glad wrap brand too, by the way. It's got to be glad that the kind, the self-sticking kind is yep. awesome. But then, you know, of course you've picture me out in the barn with all these things and my horse is like, Ooh, no, 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 what's over here. Let me pick my leg up. Let me sweat it a fly. Let me do this. Let me do that. So I, I throw a small tub of, um, grain on the floor or oh, bucket. Busy. Yeah. Little nuggets. So it's like maybe, you know, tiny little nuggets and I spread them all out in the, the bucket and, um, it does. It keeps them busy while I put that so stuff up. around for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I make my cross ties nice and long so we can't go too far off. But, um, so yeah, that's paper towel, saran wrap and vet wrap are and clay. Friends. And, and yeah. your, are your friends all in a What do you kit. have? What do you keep? Well, it's changed a little bit when I, during, during my competitive career, big bucket of clay poultice. Because we were constantly poulticing legs because, right, okay. you know, that's what you do when you, you event a lot. And one of the tricks I learned is take your clay poultice, spread it in a reasonably thin layer about the thickness of, let's see here, about the thickness of a half a layer of a layer cake, thickness of a fat finger. And I spread it out onto a sheet of saran wrap or glad wrap. And I make it all nice and smooth as I can. And I put another layer of saran wrap paper on top. Of, on top. And if I have the space, I take that whole thing and I just drop it in the freezer or a cooler if I'm traveling. If, I'm at a, if space is at a premium, I will take a towel and put it on top. And then I will roll it up so that the towel is on the inside of the roll. So that otherwise the saran wrap sticks to itself. And you, and you freeze it or you cool it in a cooler just like you would uh, pastry dough. So that when you need to use it, it's cold. Because the point behind a cold poultice is for it to be cold. <laughs> so that was that's kind of a helpful hint. You just put it in the cooler. Make, and then when you put it on, it's really easy because you just take the bottom layer of saran wrap off and wrap the yep. top layer on and wrap it on and the top layer is already there. So that worked out really well. But now, it's changed over time. Now, I very rarely poultice. Speaker doesn't get boo-boos all that often. Thank Knock on wood. Knock on wood, knock yeah. Knock on wood. Um, so I don't have to poultice very often, but when you need it, you need it. It's one of those kind of items. So in my kit, I always keep something called Animalintex, which is, mm. it feels a little bit like a sheet of cotton, thick pa- cotton padding, a little bit like the inside of a diaper, but it's impregnated with the poultice stuff. So all you do is dunk it in water and slap it on. That's all you got to do. And they come in leg shapes and they come in hoof shapes. <laughs> so, and I've seen I've seen and used the hoof shape ones, but yes. I've not actually used the leg shaped ones. They make leg I love shaped them. ones as well. And they're really handy and they're they're what's called a medicated poultice. So if a boo-boo is part of the scenario, that's been taken care of. But you can also use it when there's not boo-boos involved. But it's nice because it can live almost indefinitely in your kit because then it's in a sealed package. Um, which is great. It's great for yes. traveling. It's great for it sitting in there for a long period of time. It's not going to dry out. And then one other thing I keep in my kit, as far as poultices are concerned, is I do keep a big tub of, of ichthymol in there because because it is my absolute go-to as a drawing agent. If there's any suspect of infection for me, I'm all over the black stuff. Okay. Yeah. So those are my two go-tos. Love it. All right. And that's <sighs> it. 
Attack and habit. That's it. Let's wrap it up, girlfriend. Let's wrap it up. So that was poultices, horse show moms, farm buying. Man, this was a full episode. That is plenty for this week. If you are a Horse Radio Network auditor, there will be a lot of behind-the-scenes material from this week's show. So if you want the deets, the backstory, more details... (laughs) Stuff that made it to the cutting room like, floor. Mom, why did you have to tell that story? Yeah. You get the HRN Auditor's Edition. If you're not an HRN Auditor, consider becoming one because this is what happens. There's a lot of juicy stuff that happens behind the scenes on these shows and our auditors get the scoop. So that's it for this week. There will be more next week. Until then, we wish you happy scooping. Happy scooping. 